Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Well, how many just, uh, how many enjoyed having Pastor Jamie with us last week? How many just, oh man, it was, it was so good. I love moments like those that are catalyst moments, that are moments where we can actually step into a new season that God has and receive the word of God from, from somebody that's hearing and processing what he's saying. And so I'm so, so grateful for that. And the word she shared about a David generation and a Samuel generation is so powerful. And, uh, and I'm gonna, uh, over these next few weeks, we're kind of gonna be going in that, that theme, okay? And the theme is this, is that there is, like, like she said, there's a David generation and there's a Samuel generation. And neither exists without the other. In our church, there are older generations and there are younger generations that need one another. When we talk about this idea of coming to the table, the idea is not just to come to t- the table with all of your friends that are in the same season of life. The idea of coming to the table is to receive the strength that each one of us brings as we impart to one another. If you're in the younger generation, you need an older generation who's seasoned, who has a a, a seasoned faith that comes through experience to be able to speak into your life. You need an older generation that will actually be able to look at you and help a younger generation understand the concept of time. Because a younger generation in our culture has this idea of time that everything's microwave and just will happen automatically. It takes an older generation to go, no, just just be patient. Just just chill out for a second. I, I need people to tell me to chill out. So I think that means I'm young. (laughs) But we need people to be able to tell us those things, to be able to help us to understand and discern the times. I I remember uh, one of my favorite things, talking with my grandpa who we lived with, World War II veteran, amazing man of God, incredible. And it was interesting to talk to him because every time time I did, there, there, there was an unhurriedness to his life. He wasn't in a hurry. And in fact, he, he often was not filled with anxiety about anything that needed to happen in a certain sort of time. Why? Because he drew, grew up in a generation that valued that in a different way. And as he walked through that, he could now bring that to my life and encourage me, don't get in a hurry. Stay faithful, stay strong, stay submitted, stay learning, Right? And that's what we glean from an older generation. But I also recognize that the younger generation also brings something that an older generation can grow from. The younger generation often brings a fresh faith, a fresh optimism for the future, a fresh belief that God can do whatever he wants to do. And I'm not saying that the older generation doesn't have that. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that there's a difference. There's a seasoned faith that is tested through experience. And then there is a younger, fresh faith for a now generation. And those two things come together to be able to help each other grow. This is what's so beautiful about the table. I recognize I don't have everything figured out. 
Anybody else want to be bold enough to say that in their life? Right? We do not have it all figured out. And we need one another to be able to grow. That really is at the core of this series. Like if I was to boil it all down here, it's we all are here for a purpose to help each other to grow in what God has for us. And that's, that, that's, that's what God wants to do in this place. And so I want to talk today, for these last few minutes that we have here today, I want to talk about a crisis that is really crippling our world right now. And it applies to an older and a younger generation, okay? So this is the, my, my precursor, my, my preface there is to set up what I want to talk about today. The crisis that we are in is one of identity, Our world and our culture right now is in an identity crisis. If you look at mainstream media, if you look at social media, if you look at all of the influences that are coming in from the world right now, they are getting you to second guess your identity, to get you to reimagine your identity, which ultimately what it's doing, the the effect of it, is it's making everybody really confused because it's causing you to question everything about your life. We're in an identity crisis. And I recognize that for believers, in the middle of living in this identity crisis that we face, we have to have a absolute grounding on what is correct according to the word of God about our identity. We cannot allow culture, the world, media to shape our identities. We need to let the word of God shape our identities. And that that might sound like a simple statement, but I'm telling you right now, it's way easier said than done. Because all day long, what's being put into us, you're not enough. You're not enough. If you had this, you would be something. If you were this, you would be something. If you were different in this way, you would be something. If you only were able to attain to this, you would be something, right? And it creates this thing where we're constantly trying to one-up everybody else in this place of identity. But God never designed that for you. God never designed you to be wrestling with something that you're not. He designed you to live in who he designed you to be. And this, this identity crisis goes all the way back to the garden. You see, back in Genesis, when the tempter came, when Satan came, right after everything was made and God said, you can eat anything in here except for, the knowledge, except for the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil and the tree of life. Like avoid those, right? Avoid. And the tempter came and he immediately went after what God had said not to do. How many times in our life does the devil do the same thing to us? Did God really say that? Boy, that's really confining. Boy, I can't believe that you serve a God who would put limitations on us. You know what I find about rules and the things that God put in place in my life? They bring stability to my life. It's not limitations. It's a foundation. Because I can always go back and test everything against that, right? But in this, he tempts him. In Genesis 3, it says that, that he came... And he actually told Eve this. He said, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, eat the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. From the very beginning of time, the devil is trying to sow in 
this dissatisfaction and this question about who you are. To get you to try to want to be somebody that you're not. Fast forward to the temptations of Jesus. Satan came to Jesus. And when he did this in Matthew, he came and he said, the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, if, if you're the son of God, prove it. Well, of course, we know Jesus just came back with scripture, nailed him upside the head. That would have been so cool to see. Oh, man, it would have been amazing. I want to watch the tape of that when I get to heaven. It's just going to be so good. And then he comes back and he says to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. If you're the son of God. And then the angels will support you. This is, this is what I recognize is that the enemy's tactic is always to get you to question your identity. To get you to question who you are. Now, does that mean that you are just the perfect spitting image of yourself right now? No. Sorry. We all, and I mean all, have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We all were bro born broken. You were born broken because of sin. Before you did one thing, you were broken. And the wages of sin, the wages of that sin in your identity is death. But the gift of God, or if I could say it this way, the identity of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so there's this thing where, where if we start to second guess who we are in Christ, we get ourselves in big trouble. I want to, for a few minutes, talk about two different uh, de uh, definitions to identity here this morning and process just for a second about worldly definition of identity so that we can understand and be aware of the enemy's vices, the enemy's attacks, and then to be able to look at scripture and say, this is who God says that we are. And it's important to have both of these in place so that we are aware of the enemy's works. And we're also aware of the truth of what God says. Okay. Everyone on board with that? Okay, here we go. Cultural identity, cultural identity. The definition of it is this. It is a self-constructed notion of a person's true self. Notice what it says, a self-constructed notion, meaning your identity is based off of everything that you put into yourself from whatever sources you happen to be listening to. You create a version of yourself by all of these things that we read and we watch and we ingest on a regular basis that if we're not careful, allow and come and have a shaping power in our lives. But, but, but here's the thing, is that I know, because of what the Bible says, that everything self-constructed will fail. Anything that you build in your life that is dependent on you will fail. Because you are imperfect. Because you are a sinner saved by grace. Nothing you do and, and I don't care who you talk to, but the more you just dig down deep inside, thinking if I just dig down deep enough, I'm going to find my true self, and that's going to give me some sort of foundation. I have news for you. The further down you dig in yourself, the closer you get to your intestines. 
Like that's all, that's all that happens. Self-awareness and constructing who I am. Paul says this in Romans, and I find this absolutely fascinating. He says, for I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my flesh. Nothing, nothing good. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. And then he says, for I, in, uh, going on, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. Anybody ever experienced that in your life? I don't want to do this evil, but yet it's the very thing I'm doing. Why? Because you're messed up. Because of this flesh, the, the, the F word, right? Because of this flesh that you have in your life. And then verse 21, he says this, so I discover this law, that when I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. So what's Paul saying? You can't dig far enough deep down inside yourself to find anything good. Impossible. Boy, if I just try a little bit harder, if I just read a couple more books, if I just, if I just ingest these things, I'm just, just going to... I'm going to be able to do it. That might feel good for a little bit, but it doesn't actually bring transformation to your life. Now, God can use those things, and I'm not discounting reading books and ingesting things that help you to grow in your identity. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if that is it, then it is a self-constructed identity. Things I realize about the self-constructed identity in culture is that the enemy is using culture to instill lies about your identity. You look at all the gender confusion, gender dysphoria, all of these things that are out there. It's culture yelling and saying, no, you're, you, are, you are messed up, you're imperfect, and you need to take it on yourself to figure out what's ever wrong with you. Social media just exacerbates this, right? Because social media gets you to flaunt the very best version of yourself or what somebody else wants in order to win likes. And suddenly we're, we're doing this compare and contrast with things that we see on social media. And if I'm just this way, or if I do these things, or if I put this kind of an image out, then I'll be liked and I'll be appreciated and people will affirm me. It even affects preachers and influencers because it lands on one of two ways. Either preachers and influencers try so hard just to appease culture and not say anything to ruffle feathers so that people will like them. Or they're on the other side of wanting to say things that are so outlandish that they establish their unique identity. This is what an identity crisis affects people with. The world bases your identity on a few different things. One is your job your economic status, your affluence. We, we, we just put all people in all kinds of status situations and your identity is wrapped around how successful you are with finances and all this kind of stuff. Or what about gender and physical appearance, right? Like if you just look a certain way, if you wear all the right clothes, if you do all this, then your identity is good. And if you don't, your identity is wrong. So figure it out, right? Or usefulness, your identity is wrapped up in whether you are useful or not. And when society deems you useless, then your identity is shifted. Well, you're useless. Oh, we just write you off now. Or how about charisma? Boy, I just, they have got a great identity because they're charisma. They're just, they draw people to them. That, that, 
These are all things that the enemy, listen to me, listen to me, the enemy is twisting to lie to you. Your identity is not based off of any of those things. The identity crisis can make people see themselves as either superior or inferior. It's a constant comparison contest. Well, boy, at least I'm not doing what they're doing. Like I'm a few steps ahead of them. Good grief. Do you see how they're living their life? Or, oh man, I just, I'm a nobody because I haven't done any of these things or I don't have these things or I don't have two cars, whatever the case may be. It's this comparison contest. And the root of it, guys, hear me. I'm trying to expose some works and tactics of the enemy. The root is fear of being lost in a sea of humanity and losing all significance in life. So what is the enemy doing? He's trying to prey on your fear by getting you to question who you are and try to make yourself into something so that you're something in society. Now, now, if you go to the nth degree of this whole idea of identity, it's exhausting because you continually try to do things to add up, be good enough, look a certain way, have it all together. So that when people look at you, they go, oh yeah, they've got it together, that's awesome. And try to stay as far away from real life. <laughs> real life, real life is not always pretty. Yeah. But we have to be okay to live in this. The third thing I realize is that I, an identity crisis affects the older and the younger generation. The younger generation, it causes them to ask the question, who am I? Who, who am I? What's my unique purpose? Like, wh why am I here? It causes there to be this, this kind of confusion around that an older generation asking the question, is my time done? <laughs> do, I, do I have anything to offer anymore? Will, will, will anything benefit? Will anybody benefit from what I actually have to bring? These are the tactics of the enemy. Trying to tear you down as a child of God to, to minimize and, and so make your identity such of this, this um, unimportant thing, plastic, just surfacey thing that doesn't matter because you can just control it by all of these external circumstances in your life rather than breaking all of that off to understand who God says you are. I want to give you godly identity, okay? This is where it gets good. Godly identity is this, a believer's true self grounded in what God has said in the Bible and what Jesus has done on the cross. That's our identity. It's who God says you are, and it's what Jesus did on the cross. That gives you your identity. So when the enemy comes and tries to lie to you about, well, you don't add up to culture, you don't add up to all of these things, you can tell him, I don't need to. Because Jesus died for me. His blood ran so that I could be forgiven and I'm accepted as a child of God. And now when the Bible says that I'm a child of God, I believe it. It gives us this different way to process. Now listen to this. This is what's so key about this definition. It has nothing to do with you. Your identity as a believer, as a follower of Christ, 
is not in what you do. It's in what he did. And the more we can renew our minds, the more that we can lock in with that and our identity is secure. So let me give you a little bit of biblical truth for your identity. Psalm 139 says this. I'm going to read it out of a Bible so I look spiritual. Psalm 139, verse 13. Not really. I just like reading out of the Bible. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless, and all the days of my life were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Oh, man, there is a total different thing to hang your identity on right there, people. If I was to summarize this into a statement, it's this. God sees me, and I'm going to put these as I am statements because I want them to be a declaration for you in your life. God sees me, or here, back up. God created me, God sees me, and God planned for me. Amen. You got to believe that in your life. He created you. And, and, and it says in Psalms <laughs> that his eyes saw you when you were formless. You weren't even a twinkle in your mother's eye. And he saw you. He created you. And he planned for you. What does that mean? That means he orchestrated things in your life to be able to understand who he is. But what he also did is he planned because before you were born, he planned that his son was going to come and die on a cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven. He, he planned for that to take place. It wasn't an afterthought. The cross was not an afterthought. The cross wasn't a, oh, wait, we have to figure it out because they really messed it up. I mean, we did mess it up, but there was already a plan. God planned for you. You are not an accident and you are not a mistake. You aren't random. You are on purpose, for a purpose. God created you specifically. If you ever second guess who you feel like you are because of what culture tells you, I just want you to stop for a second and remember Psalm 139 that says he saw you before you were formed. Not only did he create, see, and plan, God loves me. I want you to know today, God loves you as you are, in the place you are. In fact, he loves you so much that the very famous passage, and it just can't get away with it, right? Or can't get away from it. John 3, 16. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That right there is what we're singing about this morning the power of Calvary, the power of the cross in our lives. He loved you so much that he didn't even withhold his son from you. Yeah. That's pretty cool. The third thing, through Jesus, I'm a child of God. 
I want you to just think about that for a second. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you're a child of God. Not a child of the world. Not a child of the mistakes you've made. You're a child of, of God. But, and John 1 says this, but all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. But, but, I'm gonna up the ante. He created you, he sees you, he planned for you, he loves you. And through Christ, you are a child of God, but not only that, you're a joint heir with Christ. Yeah. Oh man, Romans 8 says this, and if children, if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. This word heirs means one who receives a portion, an inheritance, and a possession. If you are in Christ, then you are a new creation, you are a child of God, and you are lined up to receive the same inheritance as Christ. Oh, now that's really cool. We, we should get excited about that. If you're ever wrestling with your identity, I'm a child of God. Oh, and I'm an heir of the inheritance that Jesus is getting. Oh, but I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to up it one more. I am royalty in the kingdom of God. Amen. Look at your neighbor say, you're royalty. You, you can do that. You can talk to yourself, talk to each other. You look at the other person and say, you are too. Yeah, you're royalty. Second Timothy two says this, if we endure, meaning if we continue to follow Christ, if we continue to live for him, if we continue to walk in the ways of Christ, we will also reign with him. Amen. You're created, seen, planned for, loved, child of God, heir of the inheritance of Jesus Christ and your royalty. Amen. Now, Whenever the world tries to tell you anything different, remember these things. Believe these things in your life. These are the things that will absolutely throw off the devil's attack on your life. These are the things that will cause him to back up going, whoa, whoa. They, they know who they are. Oof, I'm in trouble. They, they know who they are. I, I like to put it in declaration statements and, uh, because they help me, right? And so this is, this is my declaration summation of this. Um, this is not yours. Get your own declaration. <laughs> I mean, you could use it. I'll let you borrow it. All right, fine. Uh, but get your own declaration. Um, but this is how just putting it all together. And, and I want to read it once, and then I'm going to actually have us read it out loud together. Because there's something powerful. Words have power. And I want to declare some stuff today. So go ahead and put this up, Lane. I am not the sum of my mistakes. I am not who the devil says I am. I am a uniquely created child of God. I'm purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ and all my sins have been forgiven. I am loved by my father. Amen. Now, we're gonna read this again and I want you with your voice to lift your voice and to read this with me. Ready? One, 
two, three. I am not the sum of my mistakes. I am not who the devil says I am. I am a uniquely created child of God. I am purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ and all my sins have been forgiven and I am loved by my father. Okay, there's power. Yeah, come on. If, if, if that doesn't get you excited, I, I can't tell you anything else. I, I'm sorry. Come back next week, right? Like there's nothing that can get us more excited about our identity in Christ and who we are in him. Now, here's how in the last couple of minutes here, this is how this all ties into the table, okay? Because it is at the table that is a place, or the table is a place to affirm godly identity in one another. Who else is going to remind you of your identity in Christ? He uses the Holy Spirit, the word of God, and believers. When we gather together in relationship, we are affirming godly identity in one another. I would, I would really encourage you next time you're together with somebody, whether you're in a small group or something like this, start saying things over them. Hey, by the way, you were created, seen, and planned for. Shoot. Dexter, God loves you. Jeremy, you're a child of God. Terry, you're an heir of Christ. Miriam, you're royalty. What happens if we started to actually say that over one another? That sounds so funny to say, but it's true. This is why we need one another, you guys. There's enough voices that are telling us what we're not. We need some people to remind us about who we are. Individual identity is solidified by the company we keep. It's solidified by the company we keep. Let one life be a community of people that affirm godly identity in one another, that build one another up, that encourage the work of God in our lives. Let us be those who tear down the lies of the enemy in each other's lives, who debunk what the enemy has sown in And instead, we sow in some truth to each other. Speak life into one another. I go back to my initial point. This is why we need one another. Because your generation, the generation that you would fall into, does not make you more or less able to affirm godly character and identity in somebody else. We need some spiritual parents to call this out in kids. And we need some spiritual kids to remind spiritual parents that the identity still stands strong. We need one another. So why is accurate identity so important? Why is it so important? 
Go back to Genesis for a second. Genesis 1 says this. At the end of creating everything that God did, said he saw all he had made and it was very good indeed. Do you know why it was very good? Because prior to the fall, after he had established, including making man and women, 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 one woman, <laughs> there's, a, there's a new theology for you. <laughs> I give up. Man and woman. After creating all that, he said it is good. Why? Because everything that he created was functioning according to its purpose or its identity. You know when God says it's good? When we're functioning in our identity. When he looks at your life and says, oh, that's good. Hubert, that's good. It's when we realize who we are in Christ and start living in that. We start encouraging us in those ways. Identity. So as we live in this identity, the final piece that brings it full circle is that we recognize and as we recognize and live in our true identity, we bring glory to God. You living in the salvation of Jesus Christ brings glory to the Father. You not listening to what the world wants to label you as brings glory to the Father. This is our goal. This is what we're all here for, is to bring glory to the Father. Isaiah 43 says this, everyone who bears my name and is created, what? For my glory. I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. What is that identity? The one that he paid for and the one that he created you for. Final point, living in godly identity is the creation bringing glory to the creator. Okay, remember this. You were created, crafted by a absolute genius. Like brilliant beyond anything that is earthly possible. He made you. He formed you. And when you live in the identity that he has created and prepared and provided for, you actually are pointing back to the creator. Doesn't stop with you. But it says behind this creation is a pretty amazing creator. So how do we live? Do we live in a way that says, man, I'm just, I gotta be the best version of myself. Insecurity breeding. What if, what if I'm not this way? What if I'm not doing this? And all of these things. Ah. Or do I recognize who, I'm in, who I am in Christ? And as I live out my identity in Christ, as I live out forgiveness, as I live out the cleansing of and the washing of Jesus and the work of the cross in my life, then I realize I'm actually pointing to the Father. This should be our goal. This should be our goal. We want to make the creator look good. Now we don't need to make the creator look good because he already looks good. But we want our lives to point to him in a way that glorifies him. As we get ready to conclude today, I, I, I recognize that when we talk about identity, there's a lot wrapped up in this and it can get very complicated and it can get very convoluted. 
And I realize that everybody struggles with this idea of identity in one way or another. I, I just, I, I recognize this. My, myself included, I'll raise my hand. Sometimes it's the, the, the biggest battle in my brain is getting myself to not try to just be something for somebody else. That's, okay, that's just, yeah, okay, good, right. But we all wrestle with this form of identity. My prayer today as we get ready to conclude is that there will be a revelation this week of our identity in Christ Jesus that would shape how we live, that would shape how we talk, that would shape how we act towards other people, but it was rooted in a foundational belief about who we are in Christ. This, this is the thing. And so I wanna pray over that today. But I also recognize too, that identity has, if you've, if you've been listening to the world and the world's identity and everything that the world is saying about you, you can get a warped perspective about who you are. And it can get broken. Because again, self-constructed. When we come to Jesus though, and when we give our hearts to him and confess that he's our Lord and Savior, when we receive the work of the cross, the forgiveness of the cross, this blood that was shed, when we receive that into our lives, it breaks off, listen to me, every previous identity from our life and gives us a new identity, a new creation from that moment forward. And if you're here, you're online and you're listening and you're like, you know what? I've kind of lived in my own self-constructed identity. I've been doing things. I've been trying to make it all work and it just hasn't. And, but, 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 I haven't really found my identity in, in Christ, in who he is. And I wanna give my life to him. And I want that forgiveness and the power of the cross to reshape my life and give me a brand new identity in him. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray here today. And if you're here and you want to take that step to give your life to Jesus, to confess that he is Lord, we're all gonna pray a prayer together, but I want you with a belief in your heart and in your mind, to pray this with belief, to pray this with faith today. So let's all do this. Let's all bow our heads. And I'm gonna lead in a prayer. And we're going to, uh, we're just gonna invite Jesus into our lives, very simply. So I'll repeat this after me. Jesus, I come to you and I recognize that I've been my own boss. I've done my own thing built my own identity and I bring all of it to you today and I ask you to be the Lord of my life to take away false identity and give me your identity I receive that today I declare that because you died on the cross and rose from the dead that I am saved forgiven, and I am secure in eternity with you. And I thank you for it, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I just want to say that is one of the most powerful things that you can do in your life. There's nothing magical about a prayer other than it is a declaration of what you believe. And it's the beginning point of a life to follow Jesus. 
And so, um, you know, if, if you did pray that for the first time, I would really encourage you that same connection card that we talked about earlier. If you would fill that out and just let me know that you made a decision to follow Christ today, I would love to be able to follow up and again, give you some next steps to be able to do that. You can, you can fill it out and you can put it in the doors, uh, not in the doors, at the doors. You can give that as you leave um, and, and allow me to follow up with you. Um, but here, here, here's what I want to do too. Um, I want uh, us all to stand. And now I want to pray over all of us today in this area of identity. Did, did, would you say that there's one thing today, maybe more, but that, that grabbed a hold of your heart in this space? Okay. Okay, good, good. So what I want you to do is I want you to just grab a hold of that thing in your mind right now. Okay. Um, and, and worship team, you guys can join us up here um, on the, on the stage. Um, but I want you to grab a hold of what that is. Whatever that wrestle point has been for you or whatever truth God wants to reveal to you today about who you are, I want you to grab a hold of that. And as I pray, I want you to believe that there is something that shifts in your heart and in your mind today. Amen? Amen. Jesus, I thank you for the identity that you provide and that you paid for on the cross. I thank you that we are not the sum of our mistakes. We're not the sum of our failures. We're not even the sum of the times that we lack in faith. But Lord, we are who we are because of you and because of what you've done. And any lie that the enemy has tried to come into our lives with, anything that the enemy has tried to, to destroy or to, to adjust or tweak or to tear down in us, Lord, I pray that there will be a breaking off of that over your people in the name of Jesus. I pray that as we walk out of this place today, we would walk out with our heads high, knowing who we are in Christ, knowing what our true identity is in you. Lord, I pray for those who have wrestled because of what culture has said over their lives. Lord, I pray that there would be a healing and a freedom from those things in the name of Jesus. Any label, that we have put on ourselves, broken off in the name of Jesus. Let the only label that is on our lives be a forgiven child of God, loved by the Father. And I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing in your people today. Help us to walk out in this fresh identity this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, come on.